Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I'm your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the uh, I have the privilege of being in conversation with an experienced professional actor and director that envelops himself in all aspects of the creative process. Please welcome Noah Silas. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. Long, long overdue, I say. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, we're, we're here. We're here. Um, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, some of these roles that pop up, I'm going to try to like nudge you out of them and like, hey, I'm, I'm a bigger guy. I can take this. That's where I have this gravitas, not none of the acting talent, but this gravitas, I could do that. So right. we'll see. We'll be competing for the same roles soon. We'll see. Um, <laughs> so as we, as we start off super early, I, I, I realized that, um, that people kind of like, what they know best is themselves. They know best is to talk about themselves. So can you talk, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what was your first experience um, performing, your first experience on stage, your first experience acting? Tell us about that. Mm, um, well, first first off, I just want to just give thanks to the creator, to the great breath who's given me this talent and, and has blessed me to be able to still do it professionally. Um, you know, as a child, you always think, you know, it's a dream. I, I want to do acting, but to actually be in the, uh, in the, in the everyday life of it and how it looks and the ups and downs. So I am just beyond blessed. Um, I went to Fermat on Templeton elementary school back then. It was like an Edison school pro. Uh, so like their, their main head headquarters was in New York and they had a different curriculum. So it was like a private public school. But anyway, um, you know, they had the regular 
uh, you know, visual art class and music class and dance class, but they never had an acting class. And all the art teachers, you know, I would always hang out with them and ask some questions, really just trying to say, hey, I'm really interested in acting. Could we try to do some sort of whatever? Um, and I, you know, my first show was Aesop's Fables. I think I was like maybe third or fourth, fourth grade. Um, you know, you know, the Aesop stories, I um, mean, just act them out on, on, on stage and be, you know, we got, I was able to pick, you know, other students and the teacher let me direct and I was acting in it. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my first experience that I can remember of me acting. And not only was I acting, I was able to direct and, yeah. you know, we, I would do a little in-school marketing where I would post the flyers <laughs> in the teacher's mailbox and all that jazz. So, yeah. From an L. Templeton? Yeah. Pennsylvania Avenue from an L. Templeton? Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm I from- went there too. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. We're, we, we, we're probably about the same age. We, we're probably there together, my guy. <laughs> wow. Well, no, I'm not going to say my age because actors don't have ages. We have age ranges. So. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate it. I redact all of my times. I said how old I was in this podcast. Yeah. Um, so so uh, what was it, I guess, early on that, you know, you had that experience? What was it early on that, you know, brought you to like that I want to be I want to be an actor and then as you've grown into it and as you touched on earlier the kind of the ups and downs that comes with it what makes you want to continue being an actor and what sorts of projects are you attracted to um it's the self is it's the self-expression acting has saved my life more times than I can count and continuously to this day it's been a therapy. It's been a friend. It's been a lover. It's been a. It's been an enemy to me. Um. So I, I have this deep relationship with the craft. Um. I don't know. I just. I. It. It, it gives me life. It gives me life. It gives me therapy. And later in my life, I was realizing this: the stories or just the the plays that I've decided to pick or the monologues that I decided to pick had so much weight and importance to the viewers. Um. So that's what I look for now. You know, that was a time just when you're starting out where you just try to do everything just so you can fill up your resume. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't matter if you believe in the director, doesn't matter if you believe in the piece or not. But now I I always try to do pieces that are thought, thought-provoking. Um, I always want audiences to continue the conversation of whatever the show was about um, on their own time and how it applies to their life. and how maybe there's some lessons that they can learn from from the play to apply to their life or to change different things, just to just to be able to feel seen as a human being, to see that a particular story or emotion or or conflict that they're experiencing is now being seen on stage. It it, it just makes us, it makes the interconnectedness of our, <laughs> our humanity so much stronger, so much tighter. You know? Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um... Yeah, I think being more intentional and in, in finding things that you really want in it, like as you, you know, I look at doing this, um, this series and early on. Yeah. Are you alive? Sure. Do you want to be on my podcast? Now it's just like, no, no, bro. I, I, don't, I don't really think you're popping like that. And I'm not, not being like, like crabby about it, but I was like, I don't know if it's a fit. And there is a curation that goes with it. And I would imagine it's very being very selective of the work that you do. It has to speak to you in a way. 
Yeah, in in the words of the great Erica Badu, you know, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. So (laughs) if it's a certain space or energy, uh, even with the podcast, a certain energy that you don't want to deal with, you have a right as an artist not to deal with that energy. Absolutely. 100%. Let's talk about preparation a little bit. How do you how do you prepare for a role? Because uh, that's very interesting. Because I've I've and, and forgive me, you know, I'm a, I'm a novice. But when people talk about oh, I was I was method or have you, so tell me about like the the prepar- the preparation that goes into like a role. You can use maybe a role that you've recently worked on, uh, and like what is one of the first things that you're doing when you're in a, you're approaching a role when you're like oh yeah I want to read for that or I want to definitely act in this project. Right. Um, I'll, I'll use Julius Caesar for, for example, only because I got hired to do that in 2020. Oh, wow. And and the pandemic happened. So we had to wait and we were able to do it this this year. So I've had two. That, that was the longest research time that I've ever had for a role. I had two years to find the historical context and, you know, other writings about Julius Caesar and blah, 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 blah. Even though it was a hip hop rendition and it was very modernized, I'm a purist when it comes to Shakespeare. So I always try to hold that that level of, of the past, regardless of how modern it is. Um, but I am um, a avid believer and follower of Stanislavski's method. Um, you know, I've Try the tech technique Meisner's to be more more specific, uh, Alexander. But I, I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy method. You know, it's it's a whole debate now about you know um, maintaining a safe space while still being able to envelop yourself completely in the character. So I'm working on the we own this this city and seeing those working actors who are method actors, especially John Bernthal. They know they are um, adequate at switching it on and switching it off. So mm-hmm. I'm not in front of the camera. You know, I'm not forcing PAs to call me by my character's name, <laughs> mailing rats to my goddamn co co stars or whatever. You know, just to just for the sake of maintaining character. Um, so I always in this in this inclusive future that we're heading into, a safe space is pertinent for any production success. Um, so that being said, it is very interesting as a method actor, just the the stigma that comes with it and still wanting to be outwardly a method actor and still maintaining a safe space is such a, it's such a beautiful journey that, that I'm on. Um, Cause I've always advocated for safe space and I've never had an issue or incident where my method acting has caused any turmoil on, on set or on stage. So to hear other actors or, or just to hear this, these, these horror stories, one, I was, I was just completely taken aback. I was just like, wow. But then I realized humans are humans, you know, it's, it doesn't matter of the technique. It matters of the individual. Um, but yeah, so I, that, that is also just another level of consciousness to be aware of having a safe space of being a method actor. Um, so yeah, so after research um, that I just start to, if I don't have the luxury of having already historically accurate character like Julius Caesar, if it's somebody completely just, you know, imaginary, just making sure that I'm, um, you know, creating a, a sound back backstory, who they are, their wants, their needs, their habits, how they shift their weight, how they think, you know. Um, 
you know, once I get that, then I start to move into the body. Uh, you know, I have a little studio in my in my house where I just walk around, just just feeling the character. I walk outside. I get grounded. I I see how this character interacts with the sun versus how I do it, and just all all those little techniques. Um, and then by by the time I have a a nice sound back backdrop of who this person is and and just their their uh their objectives and the obstacles that, that that come with it then i'm already in the rehearsal process and we're and we're rocking and rolling now it's i i've been called an asshole of doing this but as of <laughs> late, as of late i've been trying to be off book by the first rehearsal <laughs> just so i can you know interact with the other actors and then touch you and look at you and not look at the script but then everybody calls you an asshole they're just like are you trying to be better than me are you trying to be <laughs> we, get it. we get it you're on hbo you don't have to fucking you know <laughs> that's that that's that ferment old templeton right there it's <laughs> <laughs> that private public school so, so, so tell me, tell me more about that experience. Um, in playing uh, Detective Jones, that we own the city, and what role or character would you want to play if you, if the chance presented itself, like Pie in the Sky, like HBO's, like Yo Noah, what's good? We need you for a thing. Me it's Charles Mangus, you know, because I want to just be able to choke people out, but that's a different story. I don't necessarily have a dream role. You know, yeah. all the interviews I do as an actor and other actors always have a dream role. Like I, if, if I get this role, my life is fulfilled. I don't have that. Um, I just always want to stay working. My best project, my Love favorite it. project is the next one. Um, so yeah, no, it, I, there was a time where maybe Virginia, you know, to be in who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, but then, you know, that, that they're, uh, they're a state clearly says they don't want black people to be uh to be playing in that so that i think that was the only one if i had to have a dream role and then once i realized the the racism behind it i said i can't do dream dream roles anymore <laughs> it's too much weight too much pressure so in that experience and like with with uh, we own the city. Talk about like that experience and being on an HBO production, and you know, with the I guess the the scope of the cast that was here. I, I read that it was mostly like people from Baltimore in terms of the extras and just the majority of the people on screen are from Baltimore. And you being a Baltimore guy, so tell tell me about like like that and that what that experience was like and yeah, because I mean, you definitely pop on the screen or what have you. And I was like, oh, because. I just remember my girls watching. She's like, "Who's the guy with the beard?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Oh yeah, I like his man's right there." That was literally what it was. And so, so tell me about that experience. Well, it was a life changing experience. That was my first professional SAG set that I was on, and the the glitz, glamour, and glare is true. <laughs> the, the the trailer is amazing. Crafty and craft services is great. He's <laughs> walking you around. You never have to do anything. As soon as you sweat, there's somebody there with a fan. So just to have that, just to know that that was a real experience, which is like, wow, I think I can do this the rest of my life. Um, but it was just very humbling because even working with Jamie Hector, working with John Bern- Bernthal, they are they do this all the time, you know. So just just to see them. You know, just watching them kind of brought me back to like a very humble place where I couldn't get too excited about all the wonderful little uh, collateral of being uh, on, on an HBO set. 
Um, but just to just to stay focused with the work, like yeah, that that's why you have so much luxury because mm-hmm. you completely envelop yourself into your script, so you don't have to worry about food, you don't have to worry about being distracted, you don't have to worry about sweating. But because we're covering this, I I need you to give everything everything that you have to this character, um, and it it challenged me as a as an actor like to 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 be next to Marlo, <laughs> yeah. And who I grew up watching, um, and and before uh, we started filming, he and I went out to dinner, and we were we started to improv our characters at the dinner table. This was this amazing experience. <laughs> I think that was something like high school actors did, like you know. But no, but professional actors, like I'm I'm in it. This is what I do. Why not improv to get the um, just to get the rapport with us together? Yeah. But it was it was it was wonderful. Um, a lot of Baltimore actors were able to join the union. A lot of them were were able to get other roles immediately because of this opportunity. Um, and just to be just to be a sourpuss, because I've been so positive this entire <laughs> um, Baltimore needs more union work. Uh, what, what all all the rest of the uh, amazing Baltimore actors who worked on We Own the City has we're we're all coming to the realization at the same time. If I want to remain in the union, I have to leave Baltimore. It's not mm-hmm. work here. It's not enough infrastructure to to sustain union contracts because we just don't don't have it yet. Um, so yeah, so it was wonderful. I'm very appreciative and humble of the opportunities that come afterwards. But I definitely want to. I'm using this as a challenge as to how we can upgrade Baltimore's infrastructure so they can pay artists. So it's not a stipend. It's not just a you know, um, film sets are coming in here because the tax rate is low for them to film here, and then mm-hmm. Baltimore actors a chance, or or they or they just like on some center stage stuff, they have a complete pipeline from L.A. For, uh, to to New York, and they're just you know hiring all the actors to be on that set, even though they are they are here, and that's a that's yeah. a whole conversation. But yes, uh, we need more union work. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we are very we are very appreciative of the opportunity, but now a year later, when yeah. it's still coming in, we need more union work. Yeah, one hundred percent on that because I I look at it, and this is going to be a question I'll end up asking you probably in a rapid fire because I just wrote it in there. Because as you see me look down, I'm I'm editing as I go along. It's like, hmm, here's a new question. Here's another question. Here's a new observation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah that, it's it's a lot to unpack in in that area because it's this notion even with the story or fake story or whatever that came out this week about that apple series and all of that and it's just like what it what and you know my initial response to that of this i guess it was a hoax i don't know about a shooting that took place in like bromo seltzer which doesn't even align doesn't even align um but i was just like so hold on, you guys with this hyper realism for whatever reason, this this kind of quotient or the tax breaks, all of these different things. That's like, yeah, it's like, nah, keep shooting stuff here, keep doing stuff here. Let's just just keep making it happen. I, that's literally w- where I went. I was like, it's unfortunate if if that's true or what have you, but let's just keep it rocking. Let's keep bringing it and making stuff here because it's got a lot of people here, got a lot of talent here. <laughs> So funny, funny enough, um, I Moses Ingram and I are on are on texting terms. We we went to high school together, Baltimore School School for the Arts. Um, 
So even in her found success, I'm very humbled that she's still able to reach out to us normal folk. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out um, to Star Wars and all of that good stuff. Oh, like once you once you become an act, once you have an action figure of yourself, like you're up there in the stratosphere. So I'm blessed that she can reach back back down. <laughs> but I've just I just sent her a text like, damn, like I I saw the article. This is crazy. This is before the new article came out that it was they were lying, or whatever. And she was just like, child, don't even get me started. These, those, uh, you know, those Apple execs, they ain't ready. They, they it, it was a culture shock. Yeah. It was too real. And just to even give insight, I remember having conversations with the with the director of uh, We Own the City, and he also did King, King Richard. Mm-hmm. It was, if you're not used to Baltimore, it's quite a shocking reality, you know, this the 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 decadence and the blight is open and saturated and <laughs> people people can't deal deal with it so i can literally imagine looking at the producers of we own the city and and they had uh even before they started filming they reached out to a plethora of community organizations just to make sure because the content was so sensitive to us yeah. and fresh to make sure everything was cool calm collected to make sure it was a safe space for the citizens not even people on set so I can see Apple TV, Hollywood producers just on that on that Hollywood time. Like I really don't got time to be doing community community liaison work. Like get off my set. No, no, you can't be on it. You know, um, yeah. and Baltimoreans don't. You ain't talking to us, like, like no. That's just that. that's just not, that's I mean, a non-starter. Yeah. <laughs> that's a non-starter right there. We don't we don't we don't really do that. Interesting there. Yeah, and you know. It's it's really interesting when it's this kind of pursuit for let's make this this. I, I do this movie series, this film series, um, uh, film revival series called Shot in Baltimore. And I'll try to like show movies that were filmed here, what have you. And oftentimes people are like, I didn't know that was done here. When was that filmed here? And so on. And the the key thing that I look for, I wanted to make it a, almost a drinking, a drinking game. If they call it D.C., you got to take a shot. If you know it's like Baltimore, you to it. so I, I I don't know, but I I just want more. I think that's the the, the key thing for me. Yeah. I just I just want more here because we have too much, yeah, too many like just super talented people in various walks of that creative life, if you will, that can contribute, can cross over, and shouldn't leave here. You know, yeah. like that thing that you touched on was very real. Um, there is almost this this ceiling, this this glass ceiling, creatively, where you're like, I got to leave to to really grow and chase this or I'm just going to be, you don't want to say circling the drain, but it feels that way sometimes, I would imagine. It's the it's the big fish, small, small pond syndrome now. And a lot of actors are star, a lot of artists reach that position in Baltimore because our infrastructure just isn't up to par. So just to maintain, just to maintain our livelihood, to maintain and to keep growing ourselves as as artists, we can't. I can't always be the best actor, the best artist in the room. You know, right? I still want to put myself in in positions where I'm still learning, where I'm the little cub, still still trying to still trying to learn and grow and build on my technique. Because I always want to remain a student of the craft, and I believe that the day that I'd say that I have it will be the day that I quit. Yeah, it's it's this thing. It's this quote. That I read saying that if we, we it's interchangeable, but if you're the smartest person in the room, go to another room. 
And or if you're the smartest person in the room or not the smartest person in the room, rather, make sure you're being useful to the smartest person in the room. And this other piece uh, that I own part that kind of just comes from what you were saying, it it's kind of this this thing of always try to be a novice because you're always going to be willing to learn. Whereas someone that's a master of it, the issues that you're encountering, they've already encountered. They forgot how to do it. They're like, oh, I'm I passed. I don't do that no more. Uh-huh. Do read? Nah, I don't do that no more. Prep? Nah. Why would I do that? So I, I read, you know, acting, directing, and you're you're in various parts of the creative process. So so tell me about working collaboratively and switching between roles from project to project. Like, how does that work? How do you what, what sorts of considerations are you making? And I would imagine it does kind of vary between the the roles and responsibilities. But what sort of considerations are you making for for you? Is is, is Noah going into a role of like, all right, I need to be thirty percent less of myself, or I need to be five hundred percent more because I'm the director here? So, so tell me about that. Well, I it's a it's a a blessing and a curse. I see it as to why I why I've had to put on so many other hats to maintain in this city. Because if I just wanted to be an actor, I would really be working. So I have to, I had to learn how to be a director, how to produce, how to be a writer. Um, and which is, which is the, the curse of it is, I always wanted to be a straight actor, acting all I wanted to do. The blessing of it is I was able to meet new new people, do new projects that I would have never have been able to touch had I just been doing acting. Um and you know as a as an actor, I am very if I'm if I'm in a project and I'm acting, I'm gonna be an actor. I wanna be uh I want to completely envelop myself in the character. I don't, you know, after after a while, if it's like an ensemble based thing, mm-hmm. I'll then you know start to build rapport and stuff but until then like i'm i'm completely engaged i really don't give a damn about what you're doing outside of life what you know what couscous you 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 i'm here for the acting um but when it comes to directing i don't have that luxury because i have to be the not the leader but uh it, i i have to be some some sort of glue some some sort of you know found foundation for all the rest of the artists to feel comfortable with um so i just uh in today's world maintaining a safe space and what and what that looks like on a daily basis what happens if there is an incident um when you are when you are the leadership just the steps of reconciliation and dealing with whatever the issue is um so those are just those are the things that i've learned and picking up things, you know, and being a director and being a producer and being a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always try to mix and match. So if I'm acting in one show, the next show I do, I probably want to be a, I probably want to direct. If I directed in one show, the next show, I just want to be a writer or, or, or a producer. I don't, you know, I've always been trying to schedule myself where I'm not like doing five acting shows and 10 directing shows. Just, I want to keep it nice and fluid. And yeah. as a Libra, as an air, air sign, Fluidity is key to my self-care. <laughs> I'm an air sign as well. Noted Lord Aquarian here. Mm. Master of the domain that we all are in. So many blah, 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 or what have you. And then so on and so forth. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's big. And I think in in a spot where I'm trying to find that footing of what I do, I think incorporating 
degrees of difficulty in it, like being, it keeps you sharp in those areas. So I could do a conversation here and it's like, all right, I'm going to speak with an actor. And then, like I said, who I was speaking to before, and then later I might speak to someone who I don't really do too many politicians, but I might speak with someone different. Those are three very different conversations. And, or even some of the other things like hosting, you know, something that is a sponsored thing where the questions are already there and they're pretty, I'm just reading lines essentially, you know, and then trying to add, like give a percentage of myself because they brought me in, they hired me to be a hired gun. But if I'm just doing this, I'm trying to keep it as close to a conversation as possible. All of those things require different things. But if I've, if I've not done any of them in a while, then something's going to suck when I come back to it eventually. So being able to be fluid in that way, I, I, I definitely, it definitely resonates with me, my, my, my air sign brother. Uh, <laughs> so I got two more real questions for you before we get to those rabbit fire ones. Um, so thinking of recent characters that you've uh, that you've played, um, which one has the most similarities to you? Like, which one did you like? Uh, this is not much of a stretch here. This is this is definitely I relate here a lot more than expected. I would probably say I, I'm going to say none. OK, I'm going to say none because I never one, if if I find in reading or doing research on the play that or the performance that I want to do, if I find that the character is too similar to me, that I'm not really stretching and flexing my muscle, then I typically don't take it on. Um, mm. And if I do find that the character has, um, you know, has traits and habits that are similar to mine, I put it under a microscope and I try to just to change little subtle things still still maintaining the character not trying to go completely crazy and you know have the artistic liberty because i don't want him to be me or them to be me um but i, I always want to always challenge myself and stretch myself well okay yeah this person is this person is me but that's that's the that's the first layer, you know, what are, what are the other layers and how can I switch it up? Like, okay, yeah, he likes to use his right hand, but, you know, I'm going to make him use his right hand, but his index finger is the leading one, you know, just little, yeah. little small traits like, like that. So I won't, cause I feel like if, if there's a character that I'm playing, if, if I'm playing myself, then it's not acting. I'm just, I'm just being no at that time. I'm yeah. just, I'm just being a performer, not an actor. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is the last real question. And, you know, we always like to drop gems, Rob Joel's, and you've got a wealth of experience doing so many different things and uh, truly privileged to be able to chop it up with you a bit. What is like, uh, and I don't want to say number one, because I think that that's a little too gauche, but what is a, a piece of advice that you would want to share with an artist or an actor, or anyone that's like kind of local that, you don't think they're really going to hear from people that you think like, nah, people aren't going to really tell you this. Mm. What's the piece of advice you would want to share in that regard? Fall in love with the process. Fall in love with the moments where you've been auditioning for six months straight. It's you're getting no's. Your BGE is almost cut off. Your cable bill is almost off. Your cell phone bill is almost off. But you still get up every day as if it's a job, practicing a monologue, rehearsing a scene. Even if you're not in a show, read a play and prepare as if you were doing a show to keep the to keep the instrument sharp and tuned. 
Mm. Fall in love with the process. You don't need to be in a show to be fulfilled. You don't need to be on a car, on a red carpet doing social media clips and things like that. Fall in love with the fall in love with doing the work when nobody is around. Because if you do that, you will always have longevity, longevity in everything, not not just art and life. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's Bukowski there, you know, what is it? Find what you love and let it kill you. That, that whole thing, uh, find that obsession. Like, you know, when, when people ask me like, how are you doing this many episodes? Like I got like, I told someone, I was like, I have 45 interviews scheduled next month. And they're like, how? I was like, because I'm a crazy person. And I'm really into the thing that I'm doing. Yeah. And that's just, that's just what that is. Um, so even when it comes down to researching someone or they haven't given me any bio or no picture and they'll wait till like an hour before the interview. Oh, here you go, bro. I, what? All right. These questions are going to be mid. I'm just letting you know. Uh, so that brings me to the rapid fire questions for you. And as I tell everyone, don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Uh, so I want to start off with one that's, you know, kind of, kind of simple. What is your current phone lock screen? Um, the basic, and I can show y'all the basic <laughs> little universe swish yeah. iPhone. <laughs> it, it was really fire because the reflection showed me in there. I was like, how the hell did you get a picture of me? <laughs> I was like, yo. I really wanted to envelop you for this for this interview. Like, I needed to really get in your mindset. <laughs> so, oh, so that's the, that's actually the role you're going to play. I'm playing you in this podcast docudrama. <laughs> Six-part Netflix series. Like, oh, snap. <laughs> it, it would not be good. No one wants to see that series at all. It's just just me getting coffee and eating way too many carbs. Uh, so na- name an actor that that you admire. Um, like just you know they're they're, they're I would imagine there's a big list, but just an actor that you're like I, I dig how you go about your work. Um, it's kind of those ones that maybe you know let's let's put a little bit of a parameter around it. Name an actor that you really admire their work that they're kind of they're kind of slept on. Oh, slept on ones. Um, hmm. Slept on actor. I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to say Dave Chappelle. Okay. I think that Dave Chappelle is a slept on actor. Um, he, you know, uh, you know, he went to uh, Duke, Duke Ellington School for the Arts for theater, but he really, his main focus was comedy. But the movies that, that he is in, you can tell that that he's been in acting classes before. It's just certain techniques and subtle work that doesn't come naturally for people. You 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 would have had to have been in some sort of conservatory style setting. So just for that, yeah, Dave Chappelle, slept on actor. Amazing comedian, slept on actor. Love it. What was your last experience on stage or screen? Because, you know, we talk about your next one is your favorite one. What was the most recent one that you've done? Um, I did uh, the... Baltimore Teachers Union hires me every year to do a monologue of, you know, to and you know, to enrage the the energy and give them hope and then then love and focus for the for the school school year. So they have their little um their trainings and, and stuff. And they'll come on and talk and do a monologue. And that was the the most recent thing that I that I did. Oh oh oh, sorry. And I did I um I shot a monologue at the Motorhouse, and that's going to be on their website on their Instagram page soon. Um, it was the Howard Beale 1973's network. Uh, you know, I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everyone knows the things things are bad. That one. yeah, fire. Um, so I'm I'm six four, like. Mm, 
300, right? I, and I, I already kind of see it as just like, oh, yeah, you could be thug number one or what have you. I remember when the the pitch for uh, for like, hey, um, we own the city. It's like, do you want to be a drug dealer for us? It's like, yeah, sure. That's not playing against type. Um, what wh- what is the least like favorite role that you've gotten? You've played, but you're like, no, I don't want to do that again. Um, it's not it's not a I don't have any least favorite roles, but I I do know what you mean. I fight very hard not to be typecast mm-hmm. a big black male um you know early in my career i had to be leery of not being always the uh the angry uh and antagonist the abuser the you know this just the just the big brute that doesn't really have any depth other than to carry a sword and a certain violent attitude around you know yeah you know? I, I, I want to be the lover. I want to be the silent one. I want to be the subtle one, the weird one, you know? Yeah. Um, so as a big, as a big man, I always challenge myself that or any role that the small, the smaller human can, can get because they, you just think that they look better in a romantic situation. Sure. I, yeah, I can act circles around them, you know? So oh, yeah. I don't have any least favorite role, but I, I fight hard to stay, you know, to not be typecast. Talk that talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it went, There are certain pitches that go out because more and more people are in the DMs like, hey, man, we're looking for someone to host a podcast. We want you to do a barbershop style, you know, kind of like Deezus and Miro, kind of like, you know, any of those. I was like, I don't, I don't do that. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. And it's like, well, you're, you know, something for the urban demo. I was like, uh, yeah, right, right. I'm urban. I, I'm black. I, I live it. I wake up. I go to sleep. I'm that. So anything I do is considered urban. I don't yeah. have to be specific, you know. Yeah, from East, from East Baltimore, man. Let's just. So, lastly, and this is the one I told you I was putting together earlier. Uh, it, so let's say money's not an issue, actors are an issue, any of those those things. What is something? that you want to see made in Baltimore specifically based on like genre. Cause I, I think when something's here, we have a certain genre that generally comes out of here that kind of gets that crossover sort of HBO, sort of maybe Apple plus kind of, kind of deal. What is something that you would want to see here? Is it a kind of weird comedy? Is it a, what, what do you want to see made here in Baltimore from a film perspective? Two, two things. I want a, a weird, quirky comedy like Portlandia or like or like Atlanta to be uh, or, like, <laughs> or, or the Detroiters. Baltimore deserves that. Um, and secondly, I want another documentary about Baltimore club music. Teachy the Artist did it. I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to talk my shit. It was it was. The world of 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 being inclusive is so sticky and can be so messy at times. Oh my god! <laughs> so I get it. That's a black woman, and Netflix has a certain quota that they want to reach, and blah blah blah. <laughs> Met up with Ray, but frankly, the documentary that TT the artist did about Baltimore club music was very. It, it had no depth. The only good thing that I saw was that it was great color correction. It was a visually good story. But Baltimore deserves a in-depth documentary about the club scene, its history, its 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 struggles, its successes, its change, how it's not how it's not mainstream. Like there, there was a time where you go into a club, all you heard was Baltimore Club club yeah. music. 
Now you go into a club, it's just like you get a song, dance my pain away, or or or, or bring or bring in the cats, right? You because it's on the wire. Exactly. <laughs> like you don't have a whole I, I'm been dancing the club music for the last three hours in the paradox. You don't you don't have that anymore. And like just certain it's a plethora of Baltimore club artists that TTD artists didn't hit on. But when when I didn't hear anything about Miss Tony, I said, <laughs> what the <laughs> Okay. Um, so yes, a weird, quirky comedy and a better documentary of Baltimore clubs. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I think that's where we're going to start right there. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for being on this podcast. Um, and indulging me in these, these questions. I was actually the last part of the rapid fire anyway. And uh, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, where to follow you and all of that good stuff. The, the floor is yours. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm honored and blessed to have been on on here. Um, just in my little research of, of being, being here and watching your shows, I think it is very, this is a very important out, outlet and I encourage you to keep going and I encourage everybody to watch and subscribe <laughs> and pay whatever, make sure properly stays up and running. Um, you can find me on all social media platforms at the Noah Silas, the Noah Silas, N-O-A-H-S-I-L-A-S. And that's everywhere. That's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and LinkedIn is a very important tool. Um, so, yeah. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank the great Noah Silas for coming on to this podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is talent, all of it, all types of talent in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. <laughs>